0: You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Facci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles! Uh, Turner bring in that smoke. let skies right? high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human! the setting the pace podcast had it.
1: Hey Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace and joining me now for, I guess we kind of like do this every offseason now since I've been doing the podcast, uh, the one and only Tony East to kind of preview the offseason for us and talk about the team. Tony, what's going on, man?
2: Psyched to be here in the middle of draft and free agency coverage it's fun to zoom out and talk about everything even though i think we're going to be talking a ton about the draft and free agency today <laughs> we are and so what i'll just give you guys a quick setup of what we're going to do
1: instead of doing like mailbag questions and stuff like that i came up with like 10 different type of questions that i wanted to get tony's thoughts on talk about them together and just kind of go about it so uh, let's just jump right into it cuz i don't want to take you know too much of your time but um Okay, so while several fans believe the Pacers could trade one of the centers, I think we're on agreement there. Um, I'm curious to hear about the th- your thoughts on the, on the third center, Gogatadze,
2: and what do you think his value is around the league? Good question. Um, so he was like rated probably between about 10 to 20 the draft he got picked in. I know a lot of teams liked him when he ultimately fell to the Pacers that year. Because uh, you know the sweet shooting was there. He had some nice European seasons, and teams are really putting more investment into European scouting now. So I think teams still believe in him. And last year we saw uh, when you know people who watch the Pacers a lot that you know when he got consistent minutes, he was usually at least a useful rotation player, right? Uh, and I think he said that himself in a few interviews that he always felt like he played better or he had a more consistent impact when he knew he was going to get playing time in the game. Right? When you don't know, you kind of come in stiff, and then you're trying to prove something, and you only play for five minutes, and it's not as useful. Whereas if you're prepped before the game, that you're going to be playing for, whatever, 12 minutes, and it's going to be these stretches. You're ready. You're loose. You're not trying to prove anything. So I think that Goga is still not not like as valuable as his pick slot. Like, I don't, I think it was 18. Maybe I'm going Mm -hmm. crazy, but yeah, I don't think they could get 18 for him, but I still think they could probably get a pretty late first for him just because he's a proven commodity as a rotation level guy, as a backup big, probably like the very end of the first round, like in the Utah Phoenix, I forget his 28 range. Uh, Something like that makes some sense, although those teams themselves already have centers, so they would not want him. But I would say late first, early second is probably about his trade value right now.
1: Okay, well, let me ask you this, because I was talking off-air with Rhett Bauer, so I'm going to give him a shout-out, uh, just about you know, Goga's value and what teams might be interested in him. So like, I look at a team like Sacramento, who's at nine. Um, do you think the Pacers, number one, or, or maybe even the Kings, I, I guess I should say, do you think Goga has enough value if you attached him with 13 that you could possibly move up in the draft? No, no, I okay. don't think so. Okay.
2: Um let me look twelve, the Spurs. Eight, no, probably not.
1: I mean, I don't think Indiana would move him, just to move up one spot unless like the guy they want yeah, there in San Antonio is going to take him. Like I'm just thinking, like, you know, Sacramento, New Orleans, there are teams that could use not an I, I, Sacramento definitely needs a center. I don't know if about New Orleans. I mean they got Steven Adams. I don't know if Go go's an upgrade over Steven Adams um like you know Turner or Sabonis would be, but I'm just thinking in my head, like could you possibly switch spots with adding, you know, a guy that you just drafted first uh, in, in the first round a couple of years ago?
2: Yeah, you could. Like the Hornets, and I, the Hornets brought in Goga. They liked him that okay. year. Uh, I forget who they ended up picking. Was that the Shea Leak Monk drafter If it was the year after, but um, I know that they liked him and they need a center, so maybe they could be a fit two spots up. Uh, but I don't. I've never really thought of Goga as having enough value to move up. Like once you're at the point of being like in the 30, the 30th pick range, like that doesn't move you up a ton, especially if teams really like a guy that said, I guess if it's only one or two spots, you know, if you view the tiers as the team about the same, then maybe you'd be willing to do it. And, and Kevin Pritchard said, I think you heard it too on the radio this morning on 1075 the fan, like no matter where you're picking the number of guys you like in the draft is like your pick slot minus two, right? Yeah. 13th, you like 11 guys. So if Goga gets you up to 11, great. You get one of the guys you like. So I'm sure they would, the Pacers would like to consider that. And I, you know, on lockdown, Pacers, we've talked about how if they're going to bring back both starting centers, they're just wasting a 30-year go gun. It makes some sense to move him for an asset they could better utilize. So that makes some sense to me. But I understand why the teams in the nine to 12 range would not be interested in that.
1: Okay, and that's that's kind of what I was wondering because I wasn't sure exactly what his value is. I know that Kevin Pritchard has talked to Bob Kravitz before, and like he, you know, said that we really have a lot of, but you know, we see a lot of potential. We expect big things from Goga. Now, as a backup, I think that's fine. As a starter, I don't necessarily see it right now. But I I do like Goga overall as a prospect. I think he's just kind of raw. And he's had a really weird first two years. I mean, everything that he's kind of gone through as a prospect, I mean, in his third year, it's the first time he'll play summer league. So that is, you know, not the norm for a first-round draft pick. So I, I think that there's potential there for sure. I just wasn't sure exactly where he would, you know, what his value was in your eyes. And I think it was actually PJ Washington that got selected the year that he was drafted. That's, right.
2: that's right. Thank you.
1: And uh, that's, uh, that's another name we'll talk about later, but um, moving forward, I, I want to stay on the centers here just to kind of get this kind of part of the conversation, uh, not completely out of the way, but mostly out of the way until we get towards the end. And, you know, if we are going to trade one of the centers, would you prefer maybe more of a guy that can come play the four or would you prefer a point guard and then just slide Brogdon, Levert, and Warren down a spot in the ro- uh, in the rotation?
2: Uh, of those two options, I'd I'd pick a four. I I mean, uh, outside of getting a center back, I'm taking the best player available. Basically, like no one on the Pacers has. Uh, all right, and they're starting five. I guess unless like if you trade one of them, the other guy would presumably be your center. But the other three guys, like none of them are locked into one position, right? Like LeVert can kind of play one, two, three. Brogdon can kind of play one, two, three. Warren can kind of play two, three, four. Like you have other options to move them anywhere. So. The best quality player, regardless of position, is what I'm taking. That said, all else equal, given the Pacers roster construction, potentially losing Doug McDermott to free agency, I'd probably lean towards the four in a dead tie. And you could probably – I guess you could
1: add a wing in here too because you could always slide TJ down to the four, right? Right, right. So, I mean, what, I mean, if there's a wing out there that you think's not really a true point guard or not really a guy that could play four but could play two or three, would you go that route instead?
2: yeah i think so i mean yeah i think so like if, especially if warren's moving up to the four i just you can't have enough wings and especially again with mcdermott potentially on the way out you have to assess that somehow or else you're just down to warren who's been injury prone in his past and justin holiday as like true wings or like guys who've always played wing in their career and you again they've gotten away with lamb there in the past and lavert can i guess incredibly move up a position but you don't want to have to do that you don't want to shoehorn guys into to the wrong position we saw that last year with and all the time so ideally you get a guy who fills the need if it, if you're you know if it's all else equal right and you're looking for a certain position all right all right so let's move on to the next question I
1: think you guys might have fit on this a little bit when you talked about the hiring of Carlisle I've done so much coverage of that I didn't want to spend too much time on that but I I was curious, what player or players do you think benefit the most from playing under under Rick Carlisle?
2: We we haven't talked about this as much as I think we probably should have. You know, I think that's a a big part of the coaching hirings. And last year, it was really weird because, like, we all kind of missed the mark, right? Like, Turner, we all kind of hit on, but everybody else that everybody kind of thought would take a jump, mainly Aaron Holiday, kind of didn't at all. And in fact, he took a step back. And uh, I think we all kind of thought young players would be you know, big successes under Bjorker and given his track record and his his thoughts he shared before the season on, on player development, then those didn't really come to fruition. Carlisle is interesting to me. I think, given the way he coached recent seasons, I would lean towards guards benefiting more than forwards or bigs. That said, though, it's just that's just kind of because of the way the Mavs roster was, right? Because, like, Dirk was really good there and they were huge with those teams, right? Sean, Mary, and Dirk, and Tyson Chandler all sharing the floor. Parsons was really good under him. Uh, career years in Dallas, for example, like Monte was really good there, but he was a guard too. But you can go on and on about guys that you know were not on last year's Mavs that aren't guards that succeeded under him. So he's good at at getting guys into the right role, and so. So I kind of th- shift to guys who've been sort of miscast in their career with the Pacers as guys who could benefit like miles on offense was, was my original thought, especially after his pressure and he's talking about using him more as a lob threat because as Turner's kind of drifted in my brain from a three and D guy to more of just a D guy, right? He, his shot hasn't really materialized the last couple of seasons. Like I've always thought mixing in more roles with his pops would be good for him because he is athletic. And so he talked about using him more as a lob threat. I really liked that. Uh, and then Brogdon, I think, is another guy who could benefit from him. I'm not sure that this will happen, but I, you know, we've 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 talked about for seasons and seasons, by seasons and seasons, I mean two seasons, because Brogdon's only been with the Pacers for that long, but that he is better off ball than on ball and or not better, but he's really at nearly as good off ball as he is on ball. So maybe shifting him to a role where he can be a bit more. You know, of a threat on the defense when he doesn't have the ball could be something um, that Carlisle would be good at. But a lot of other guys have been optimized pretty well in the past with this Pacers team, so those two stand out the most to me in that way. Uh, defensively, I, I I don't know enough about how Carlisle likes to play defense, and he deferred a lot of that to Mosley in past seasons. But uh, those two stand out to me, and then you know whatever young players he decides to to really. Uh, go for with development and give a bunch of minutes to, I'd presume that he would put them in good positions to succeed. So maybe it's less that he is he is good at developing their skills and it takes him a little longer, but maybe he's better at setting them up in positions to actually succeed when they're in the game instead of, you know, having Aaron Holiday just come in and take six shots in five seconds or whatever. You know, so I, I think that, that Brogdon in turn would be my big answer. But um the youth in their minutes in particular could just in general be a good one as well.
1: Yeah, those are good answers. I mean, honestly, when when I asked Fachi this question, he said Karis LeVert, and I and I said T.J. Warren. So, (laughs) what 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 was the rationale for
2: LeVert? I understand Warren for sure. Yeah, Uh, he's like a lot of forwards have done well uh, under Carlisle, and and Warren especially, like booming in the bubble. Uh, You know, it seems like he's prime for like a more unique role. But LeVert's an interesting answer because I kind of felt like he had a lot of control. at the end of the Bjorken era, especially. Yeah,
1: I, I think maybe just more so he thought he could kind of carry over some of the stuff that he did there, kind of talking to him. I mean, obviously he's not going to have the same usage rate as Luca did, but he felt like, <laughs> you know, that's somebody who could put the ball in his hands a little bit more and, and maybe play Brogdon off ball, like you said, and that would allow Levert not necessarily be the point guard, but, you know, Alternate some stagger some other minutes at who's handling the ball for the offense at what point of the game and stuff like that. So I think that was more so his thing. I feel like, I mean, but I do agree with you. I think that Levert really came on super strong in that month of May. I thought him and Sabonis were just, that was probably one of the most fun parts of the season because there really wasn't like a ton to be super excited for in terms of on court play. Um, for for all of last year I mean there were times when you're like man this team looks pretty good and they went through that long streak of just like losing game after game and you know playing terrible at home and it never really seemed to get better and then towards the end of May or the beginning of May I mean you started to see Sabonis really clicking with Karis LeVert on the offensive and I mean that was probably to me the most fun but I mean yeah I just I don't know I I would have to have Fauci kind of go a little bit more in in depth on that because I can't remember exactly what he said but yeah, TJ Warren was a guy that just popped for me just because I feel like he just seems like a Carlisle guy. And after everything we went through with Bjorken last year, I think just having structure
2: <laughs> is just just the key thing. But that, moving, well that that yeah. Laverne answer, I guess, now now that you say it and I think about it, it makes more sense to me in that it's kind of the, the opposite reason I, I said Brogdon, right? Because I mean I guess Warren could have the ball a lot next year too, but he's not gonna be a guy setting up Brogdon off ball, right? So by default, if Brogdon is in slightly better positions to succeed by being more off-ball in general or a majority of the time, just given how usage works and how playing time works, LaVert is going to be the guy on the ball in those instances, so maybe he does. Act, that, that makes some sense to me that maybe he mm-hmm. does get a little boon, too, especially in the in the playmaking for others department. So yeah, I guess I guess that does make some sense to me that I think more about it.
1: Yeah, and I think defensively, everybody's just going to be better because we're not going to be playing such a schemey type of defense, and that that's just pretty right. self-explanatory. Like I was laughing when Jay Michael came on, he was talking about how Levert and that Washington game basically just refused to guard how Bjorken told him to guard and just guarded how he felt he should guard the player. <laughs> it caused a bunch of issues that game. And I, I just, you know, I'm hoping that Rick Carlisle can have a much better control of his roster than Bjorken did. I think he will. There's no doubt about that, but it, it just makes me laugh because I can't believe like an actual NBA player did that in the middle of the game, but I guess if you're trying to prove your point, you got to prove your point somehow. And what we saw last year on defense with Bjorken just made absolutely zero sense, especially against Washington. So at least it shows you that Karris Laverta is a very smart basketball player. Um, well,
2: well, and you heard KP this morning, right? He, he said part of the, the thing with Nate is, and sometimes this can be good, he changed def- bases, defenses all the time. And so the hope with Carlisle to just the low-hanging fruit to improve the defense is just we need a base defense that we can go into that's good, like at all times. And they have good defensive players. They were top six, seven, I forget. Uh, in defense two years ago with the almost exact same roster, right? So clearly it was something schematic or stylistic and injuries were a factor, but clearly to me, that's a thing. So I think he's right that simply, even if you want to change defenses sometimes simply having a base defense would go a long way for this team. And I don't, you know, Lavert going against the grain of his coach is certainly interesting. And he, he was probably right because their defense against Washington was terrible. But I think that having the base defense that you use, most of the time gives you more trust in your coach too. And you do change. So I think that from KP was a really good point And something that I, I hope that Carlisle instills in this team.
1: Yeah. And, and correct me if I heard this wrong, but I thought KP said that like teams kind of got used to how Toronto played defense by switching it so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did say that. Yeah. So he kind of felt like it really didn't work out as well, maybe as they had hoped by being so diverse in the defensive end, but we are, the NBA is a huge copycat league. So I understand why they hired Bjorkren. I mean, you have Nick Nurse coming off coach of the year and the year before that winning a championship. So I understand the hire. Like, I don't think anybody's mad about the hire now. It just didn't work out. And honestly, I, I said this on the pod when we hired uh, Rick Carlisle, if it meant one year of suffering with Bjorkren to get Rick Carlisle, I think, that's, uh, I think it's worth <laughs> it. And you get yep. a 13th overall pick.
2: <laughs> that, that is certainly possible, especially if they nail the pick.
1: So uh, moving on, I, I think you guys talked about this a little bit on your podcast today. So if you don't want to go too in depth, I completely understand. But uh, basically, just I want to talk about Jeremy Lamb and how you view him on this team. Do you I mean, I think you guys talked about how you could include him in a trade. And I, and I know that we've talked about that, too, because he's an expiring contract. If you pair him with one of the bigs, you know, you're able to absorb, you know, a 30 plus million dollar contract. And then, you know, do you think that makes more sense to kind of use him that way or maybe to kind of see if there'd be a team that'd be willing to absorb that contract and maybe you attach an asset like a couple second round picks to it to create more room under the tax to hopefully re-sign both Doug and TJ or do you think that if healthy lamb can actually be you know effective and impactful in this Carlisle system
2: yeah lamb is just so interesting to me because he did he was good on offense last year right like obviously I'm more low on his fit with the Pacers because of his salary situation. And he's, he's the least important guy making eight figures. And his defense was rough last year, but also because right. Like he got jumped by Sumner last year to me in terms of impact. I think most would agree with that who watched the team. And if, if, if the Pacers feel that way, if Carlisle feels that way when he's assessing the team and building a rotation, and there's obviously some politics with money involved in doing so, but um, you know, if, if McConnell's not, if McConnell is back, excuse me, then you're already looking at Justin Holiday, T.J. McConnell, and Sumner as like your locks for your bench backcourt, right? So like, there's no minutes for him, even if, even if he is back on the team, and and if you liked the impact he gave last year, which again at times was good, so then you're then Aaron Holiday's still there, and presumably, like I'm just just thinking out loud, like there might just not be minutes for Lamb. So even if you like him, the value of trading him is that if he's neutral asset, slightly negative, whatever, you're freeing up a lot of money for a guy that you're paying to do less than like his money says he should be doing. So I agree with Adam. He's, he is on this more than me, that his money makes sense in like is the middle salary to make a trade bigger. Like you just explained, right. If you go from one of your centers plus lamb, all of a sudden you can trade for basically any player in the entire league at that much money, but also, I was messing around with salary stuff today because I'm a dork and I always try to think like, what's the exact most amount you could give McDermott and McConnell and then subsequently dump Lamb for to be exactly at the tax. I got him a $1 under and it's like, it's a really hard fitting trade, but it's possible. So like I can see them salary dumping him downward like that. Um, so to me, it's just that there isn't the minutes for him. Uh, basically like if there was an obvious role for him on the team next year, like his offense was pretty good. He shot 40% from three. He got to work on that a lot because of the way he was injured. His defense was again, bad, but he's money from the elbows. He's a self creator. Like he's a value that has value. And as an expiring, it's not going to cost much to get off of him. Like one second, probably if they just straight up dump him, especially because it's only 10 million. So I I see the value of getting off of him. I don't think it would be that expensive. I also see the value he has in bigger trades. So just because of all the factors together, I think it's kind of likely, or likely is the wrong word, excuse me. I think he's the most likely guy if I just aggregate everybody together to get moved beyond a center. But I also understand that he can play wing, sort of. He shot well from deep last year. Why a team could go, yeah, you know what? Let's try to give him one more shot coming off this injury and see if we can find a spot for him in our rotation.
1: Yeah, I, I think you you made a great point there talking about the log jam at that position because that's what the Pacers have so many of. And, you know, Carlisle talked about staggering the bigs, but, I mean, you just got so many wings. And then you had O'Shea Brissett to the mix, who will probably play right. back up four, I would assume, next year. Um you know coming off the bench but if he doesn't get minutes I mean and you're playing Justin at the four and then you're you're playing Lamb and Sumner and McConnell if you bring you know them back and not even including Doug in this picture as well some of the could be bad yeah
2: I was gonna say I forget O'Shea sometimes but like if if, if Doug is back and then you have Justin's gonna be a lot to with the bench right so then Justin Holiday McDermott and O'Shea are all with your bench now you can't even play Sumner and if you yeah. have Sumner above Lamb now you're really not playing Jeremy Lamb so that makes it even more likely to me that he gets moved and it's not that I forgot O'Shea. It's just that he joined the season so late that sometimes I forget he's going to be a backup next year, not a starter. It's very complicated to, to, for me. It happens all the time.
1: Well, And then you also got to throw in the 13th overall pick because depending on who they get, right? I, think, I mean, if you're picking in the lottery and there's a guy that you really like and think he can help your team, the last thing you want to do is sit him you know, and, and play him in the G League and not really give him the actual minutes to develop. And I think that's kind of always been the thing with the Pacers. It feels like it's been very hard for them to develop guys while trying to still win because they go out and get these veterans like McConnell, like McDermott, you you know, holiday and holiday and lamb. I mean, these are all guys that are are very capable of playing and they do help you win, but at what, at what expense of development do they get in the way? So that's an incredibly hard balance for me to like, try to figure out what they're going to do. So I still think they have to make a trade regardless um, of if they use lamb, you know, however they use them. I just feel like they've got to create some space here with this roster because, um, when you add Warren back into the mix and then of course Levert now you know a lot of the, a lot of the season we were without obviously without Warren and then Levert was out for a while too so you had two bench guys starting and that's when the team really started taking a dip and then guys like Sumner got those opportunities but i'm just curious based on this conversation as good as Sumner is and i know how big of a Sumner guy you are do you still think that he cracks the 9 or 10 man rotation if the team comes back healthy Without possibly Doug McDermott, let's just say he's out of the rotation. Do you still think he is a guy that gets legit minutes?
2: I would hope. Uh, I'm again extremely high on him as a player, and like I'd I'd consider having him over McConnell in the rotation next year. I don't know. That might seem dumb. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to think. I can't see
1: Carlisle taking McConnell out of the rotation. I
2: definitely, yeah, (laughs) I don't see Carlisle doing it. But I I'm that high on him. Like I think he's that good of an on-ball defender, so smooth with the ball, and now he can shoot right. So he has a ton of value to me in general, especially as a role player, but I understand why... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be be careful with words here. I understand why he would be out of the rotation because they have... Like, this was, a, this was seen as a plus last year, right? They have such a deep team, right? Oh, if someone gets hurt, they have this guy and this guy. And little did we know that everybody would get hurt when we were talking about that. But, like, there's a point where, like, if Edmund Sumner is not in your rotation, like, you have to consolidate some stuff to make a move. And I agree that he's probably in a hypothetical rotation that we've described uh, where it's, you know, him and McConnell and Justin as your backcourt or McDermott's there with Just, whatever, whoever it is, he's probably your first guy you remove from the rotation for someone else. So yeah, I, I, I can see him being out if that is the case. All
1: right. So let's move on. The next question I have, and we're going to stay talking about this bench unit um, McConnell and McDermott. Obviously these are guys that I think we as Pacer fans expect them to bring one of the two back Possibly both of them if they're able to, but there's a chance that they could miss out on both of them if they happen to get overpaid or the Pacers decide they want to go in a different direction. I'm still not sure what happens if, you know, they draft a point guard for some reason and decide that they're going to move on from McConnell because they drafted a point guard. I don't know if that's the route they'll go, but I'm just saying it's a possibility. There's a possibility they could both not be here. So my question to you, I know you guys started your uh, free agency coverage today on your podcast on Thursday what are your top three free agent targets that you'd like for Indiana if they were to miss out on both McConnell and McDermott?
2: Ooh, top three at, at regardless of position, huh?
1: Yes, regardless of position.
2: Wow. Well, I've always i my my number one guy for absolutely no reason is has always been James Johnson. Um, just as like a minimum MF backup four they need fours really bad. I don't know yeah. if I've come up with a list of just like anyone. You know, okay. we've got. We've only done point guards so far, but he's been a guy that's always been in the back of my head as a good fit. I'm just scrolling through free agents to see if anybody pops to me now. Paul Millsap, same vein as a four, but if O'Shea's back, they don't really need that. So pre-O'Shea, I always thought Paul Millsap would be a good fit with the Pacers and what they need. Love Alonzo's fit on this team Mm -hmm. in a sign-and-trade situation, though, so that's less of a free agent situation and more of a trade JerMichael michael green same kind of deal as paul Millsap. i'm not ranking anybody i'm just naming names that make sense to me this is a a terrible answer on the fly situation um, well can
1: i throw a name at you i, I actually wanted to ask you about this player because i'm not sure what they're going to get value wise on the market um i think they could be overpaid so they might not fit into the mle but what about reggie bullock oh yeah i just crossed his name
2: yeah he'd be good uh why i think he'd fit in the mle right
1: I just I'm not sure like he had a really good, you know, playoff series with the Knicks. I think he, was he did a have big, a good, season in you know, and I mean, he had a great season uh, for his for his terms. And so I'm just like the Knicks obviously have so much money they could outbid the Pacers um, in, in terms of that. But if the I feel like, you know, he's a guy to me that I think fits in perfectly with this roster because of what he brings to the table defensively and offensively. Um, just being that 3 and D type of guy. another guy the pacers looked at last year but were unable to get a deal with was Garrett Temple. That's uh yes they did like
2: Garrett Temple last year.
1: That's why I threw him on there and then other than that, like I didn't really have like anybody that I just loved on this list. Um, if you're wanting a veteran leader, the guy that I've brought up a few times on the podcast, I said Jared Dudley um, just because of his leadership and what he could bring to the team in that role. Uh, kind of like Pritchard hinted at with Al Jefferson, basically just being that guy that can kind of almost be like a player's coach, uh, but still get paid similar to Udonis Haslam. And then if you're also looking at someone like that, that could maybe contribute if you had injuries is Taj Gibson. Um, yeah, but, but not like somebody I'm like, oh, I really want him on the team. I'm just, you know, I'm just throwing names out there. Cause it's like, I look at this class and I'm just like, that's eh, not my favorite, but. Um,
2: if they keep either of mcdermott or mcconnell at their like expected price then they're they're like <laughs> they're so limited on what they can even do to right. fill out the roster right so it's like it's like goran Dragic. i loved when we were talking about point guard yesterday on a, if they could they they can't get him on a one year but if they could i was like wow that'd be a great fit but like that that's kind of it like that's your that's your insanely sexy option if like things completely break your way in trades and free agency you know it's a it's mm-hmm. a hard class to really get enamored with anybody, right, I had a lot of pre-O'Shea thoughts about free agency, and then he kind of changed all of them because he was like a ten to $15 million player uh, value-wise when he was on the court last year, so it's kind of hard. As I'm scrolling, here's a few that I like. Tony Snell just popped in as a good one for me. Um, really efficient, solid defender, good locker room guy, very quiet. Um, actually, that's really the only one that I hadn't said yet that exploded into my brain. I always liked Bialitsa, but again, that was a pre O'Shea kind of guy. I always like Chris Dunn uh, as a good defensive wing kind of guy, but injuries have made his career just a total mess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't have a top three. I have a terrible answer to your question. Um, Well, this is what happens when I don't give you these ahead of time. But I don't like getting the questions ahead of time. See, me describing my thought process is hopefully helpful to people because in this instance, the reason my thought process sucks is because this free agent class is bad. So it's not good. <laughs> it is a. Bryn Forbes, I like Bryn Forbes. Can what he... about Bobby Portis if he opts out of his player option? Yeah, he's gonna get hell of money. Um, yeah, I probably. love Bobby Portis. But he <laughs> see, he fits the James Johnson like yeah, this is like your enforcer MF. Yeah. But he's not. They can't afford him. I don't think.
1: Yeah. What about Caruso? Do you like Caruso?
2: Yes, I do. He's actually a good player, despite the the memes he has received because he is a popular player on the Lakers, but yeah, he's actually good. He, he's okay. Good okay. But the, the trouble is what do they need? Right. It's like, <laughs> we just yeah. talked about their log jam. Like maybe if McDermott leaves, you have some minutes for a forward, but they, they don't even have a lot to offer a guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why that's reason it's
1: hard. Yeah. And that's why I brought up like uh Reggie Bullock. Cause I think you could guarantee him
2: minutes off the bench, but he's not going to start. Uh, yeah. but- that's why I've like talked, I talked about how Neto a lot on our pod because mm-hmm. He's like, he's not probably not going to demand minutes. And uh, if you lose TJ McConnell, he's actually good. But I don't think you would complain about being, you know, he's been the third point guard on every team he's been on his career. He's never hurt that much, but he doesn't play that much for his teams in the past either. Like the most minutes per game he's ever gotten it was with the wizards this year. And that's because they had a bunch of injuries and Russ wasn't that good. And so at the start of the year, Russ obviously was amazing down the stretch. So yeah, he's another one, but yeah, it's hard for me to comp with a top three list, especially cause you know, if they, if they, Kind of run it back, which I don't think they can. But if they do end up doing so, it's hard for me to come up with anything. Okay, I think my list would be Jeff Green, Wayne Ellington, and... hmm. And probably Bullock. I think that was a good choice.
1: Yeah. Okay. Your first two remind me of Fachi, because he's been on Jeff Green since like we first started doing this. I just I,
2: yeah. Jeff Green's been a perfect fit for the Pacers since the Boyan days. Yeah, and I just I can't see guys, him leaving. I was so I was so sad. I wanted to see them somewhere else, but I can't see him leaving Brooklyn. To be honest with you, no chance. No chance.
0: <laughs> so
1: that's no where I'm kind of stuck with that. So let's move on. Uh, I'm gonna start talking a little bit of draft here with you now. Okay. This is this is fun stuff here. So give it to the big board. Um, well, before we get to that, I got to ask because I know there's been talks about the Pacers moving back, and then I know fans want them to move up. So I'm going to ask you in terms of moving up, what teams do you think would be willing to move back, and tr-
2: if the Pacers decide they want to trade up? Good question. Um, so I think that the top four, none of them will want to move back. Maybe the Raptors, if they get a huge offer of like a star for four, because they could actually be good next year. But none of the top four, both because of where those teams are at and because the prospects available. I personally think between Kuminga and Scotty, the next two picks are probably also going to be hard to get up to, especially because why would Orlando want to move back? Right? They want the best stuff available. Why would OKC want to move back? They especially want the best stuff available if anything they're going to try to move up so and the magic pick eight too. so of the top eight picks the only team that might make sense as a move down team would be golden state uh to get a solid rotation level contributor they don't know what they're going to get from clay next year but they are they, shockingly they are clock on a steph team being really good again is pretty low so they might need to make a big move the king's always Want to win for some reason, even though they should want to go long term. So I I would say seven, the Warriors could move be a move down team, and then every team nine through twelve, I guess, could be a move down team. Uh, but I, you know, I don't, the Spurs, do they ever make draft night trades, right? So let's just yeah. say nine through eleven and the Warriors. Okay,
1: so that's kind of where I'm at too. I think the Warriors clearly have interest in moving down, but I'm not sure if they think they can get a bigger package than what the Pacers could offer at seven and determining on what the Pacers would be willing to give up. Um, Based on J. Michael's tweet, it seemed like, you know, there's that cutoff after six. So is seven really that much better than 13? And he also talked about not taking on albatross contracts. I think you'd probably have to eat the Wiggins contract in a deal, which would be probably like Turner, Aaron Holiday, and um, Jeremy Lamb. So would you be willing to eat that Wiggins' contract, well, I still think he's a valuable player and can still do good things. After last year,
2: yes, he's good.
1: Plus, plus, you know, pick seven. I think you kind of have to put that into account when you're making that deal for the Pacers. Like, sure, we're taking on $30 million of Andrew Wiggins, but we're also getting a rookie contract at number seven, a guy we, you know, potentially see can be a huge part of our rotation in future. So is it worth the risk, especially since Wiggins only has two years left on his deal, which would give you uh, money to re-sign your Karis Levert, and your Malcolm Brogdon's after he's off the books if you decide not to keep him and and build around that core four of Sabonis and Levert Warren and Malcolm Brogdon. So that's that's kind of where I I think it does make sense. But I still just feel like, do they consider Andrew Wiggins an
2: Albatross contract? I don't anymore. I mean, he's definitely overpaid, right? He's not a $31 million player. He is... Right, we t- we've talked about the value of contract recently on lockdown Pacers because free agency is coming up, and like as a, a solid starter, probably should in in his situation, right, should probably make a like between fifteen and twenty million. So he's certainly overpaid, like like yeah, several million dollars overpaid. But he's good now, so it makes it a little less like ugh, like what are we absorbing here? Um, you know, albatross deals to me are like your Mozgovs where. It's like they're a minimum player. <laughs> they're making a ton of money, right? Uh, or like Wall is like a $10 million player making $40 million. whereas Wiggins is like a $20 million player making 30 And that $10 million difference is a lot, right? I think the going rate for first rounders has been like 15 to 20 million of bad to dead money in the past. And uh, so m- maybe Wiggins in total is probably about that. So probably uh, a, a media, uh, like in a vacuum of first would be what re- was required to get off of him. But uh, I don't think that that's kind of baked into reality, just given. That he was talented last year. And for me personally, another factor in this Warriors specific discussion is... My tier cuts off after seven instead of six because I have Moses Moody sixth on my big board now. I'm <laughs> such a big fan of him. So uh,
1: you're speaking to, you're preaching to the choir, Tony. You know he, how if, I feel. <laughs> I,
2: and, I, and I really like Kuminga as well. Not as much as Moody, I have Kuminga seven, but like the Warriors specifically are in an instance for me as the, an evaluator of these players where I would be like, oh, wow, I'm getting seven. I'm getting someone that I think is going to be really good. Then I'd be I'd be interested in doing that. Whereas I probably would be a little less interested for the teams nine through eleven. But yeah, Wiggins certainly overpaid, and his contract is bad, but Albatross, not so much, I would say.
1: Okay. And I, I want to bring up that conversation we talked about earlier today with Kevin Pritchard on the radio, 107.5 of the fan, uh 1070. And I I thought what was interesting was how he mentioned I think Big Joe asked the question, like, how do you go about this draft? Um, You know, trading up, trading back, like, where do you value it? And you already mentioned that. He said it's always like two picks less um, from where you're selecting. So, like, we think there's like a top 11 and there's like a cutoff there. So, to me, that means like, okay, maybe he does think that the guy they want could be going before them. Unless some team makes a mistake. Thankfully, you know, Sacramento's up in the drafts so and they could make a mistake, <laughs> right? But I mean, I, I mean, and Orlando has two picks, we'll see what they do. They could be a little bit more risque on maybe a selection there at eight if they get a solid player at five that they really think can contribute right away. But anyway, I, I think what he said too is we've looked at all scenarios of what it takes to trade up and what it, what we could do to trade back and turning on the players. So to me, it felt like when he said that that hey, they're not opposed to trading up. Well, I think a lot of fans think that they more than likely won't do that. And it's kind of out of, uh, you know, characteristic there for the Pacers to trade up in the draft. But I still think that if Moses Moody, like this is a guy we're both like super high on. Like if they're that high on him, had him in for a one on one basically or two on uh, two people work out him and Kai Jones. I mean, if they're that high on him and they think that they might not be able to get him at 13, I think he's someone that got to I mean, they got to consider looking to trade up with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that teams rank guys as well. And like, if they really like him and they can get them, they'll do it. And the other factor for moving down is for me, I guess I should have another tier in here for Sharif alone, but basically from eight through 17, like I have all those guys in the same tier. So in that vein, you'd think about moving down a little bit. If, if that's how the Pacers feel as well, like if they really feel like it's an 11 player draft and they're picking 13, if those 11 guys that they really like are gone, then you'd think about moving down. So that's where it's really tough. Is like maybe it's Moody, maybe it's someone else, whoever. I agree with you that they probably like Moody given that they had him in for a, a workout of that variety. Mm. Uh, but you know, then, yes, I agree that they would try to move up. And I agree that fans are, are feeling like it's not an option. I kind of feel like it's not something they would do. I don't know why. That doesn't really – I like, don't have a good reason for it. It would help them shed salary, and they're kind of in a tough salary situation. They definitely need, like, a guy or a potential a guy. They have a logjam, like a two-for-one makes some sense. So, yeah, moving up make, might make a lot of sense given their situation, but it just doesn't feel like something they would do since they're kind of a winner or trying to be a winner right now. But, you know, they have – because of the way this draft is, where there's, like, a big tier of, like – Starter to good role player of that tier, you know. After the the really good guys at the top, you know, the, the, there's a lot of like if you really love a guy, obviously go up and get him. But there, there's a lot of options for deals from that that eight to what I have it as seventeen, but eight to like twenty range.
1: Yeah, I, I think the best you know possible case scenario for the Pacers in the draft is if like Sacramento, New Orleans, Charlotte, and uh, San Antonio all look to draft like power forwards or centers. Like you know, just to let those wing type of players drop because, like, to me, it's like, oh man, that'd be awesome if they went like Sengun and Kai Jones and then Isaiah Jackson, some of the Pacers had working out. Like, if those three guys went before, I'm like, oh, that'd be good. I think I think Moody could fall or someone in that realm of possibility. Um, you mentioned eight through 17, so I have to ask before we get into um your big board a little bit more. We talked about trading up. Now I want to talk trading down. If the Pacers were to trade down. Uh, In this draft, what type of package would you like in return?
2: Let's check the old draft order. Yeah, so the Thunder are at 16, right? They have a million things (laughs) to, to potentially move up, right? So if the Thunder really like a late lotto guy, maybe like 16 plus something else good that they have. Could be interesting, right? They have 36 this year, they have 34 this year. There's two good seconds. If you're only moving back three spots, maybe that makes some sense, especially because second rounders could be a cheap way for the Pacers to like, like it could be like you're replacing Jakar Sampson and Keelan Martin's roster spots with like a decent rookie who you get in the 30s, and that's a lot cheaper. That's another way for a team that again is flirting with the tax line potentially to save some money. So that could have some value to them if they were willing to move down in the tier um the Warriors being one behind them is weird because they already picked so it's hard for me to think what they might do the Wizards will probably stay at their spot we the Grizzlies are at 17 uh, I think a fake trade that Joe Mullinex of um, Grizzly Bear Blues floated out was like Grayson Allen and 17 for 13 I wouldn't do that but the Grizzlies have a lot of other stuff that might make some sense to move up there and then it's the Thunder again at 18 right so there's a lot of that the Knicks have 19 and 21 like there's a lot of teams really
1: have two 14, picks
2: from fourteen to twenty-one. Basically, everybody but the Hawks and Warriors. Like, I can kind of see why they might want to move up. So, make making some sense for a move back. If, but again, the, like my big board should not influence. Obviously, doesn't influence the Pacers at all. But like, if the Pacers view it differently, maybe they don't want to move back at all. Maybe th- if they really view it as an eleven-player draft, maybe they want to stay where they are. But yeah. in my, if I'm the Pacers, uh, you know, and in my I guess top eight are gone, I would think about the value of moving back in this one.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and see, that's kind of where I'm stuck. It's like, I understand maybe you can get – the nice thing about it, if you get two first-round draft picks, like let's say they did that deal with OKC. OKC is really high on somebody at 13. They get 16 and 18. Well, could they use one of those draft picks to attach that in a trade somewhere else? I mean, that's that's another way they can go about it because, quite frankly, like getting multiple picks, they already have two second-round picks, and then they're going to have their first pick um, at 13, the Pacers, that is. With this roster art of being so like – Loaded as we talked about, like there's just not a ton of playing time, in my opinion, without making a significant trade. So I think that that's kind of where I'm 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 torn between what they're going to do. I think they more than likely stay where they're at. I I think it's a less likely uh, probability that they do trade up um, than trading back. I think trading back is more probable between the two. But I also feel like maybe I'm reading into it too, too much, but like with Kevin Pritchard saying like there's 11 guys basically we really like, like maybe they could trade up. I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of torn on that. But to me personally, like how I view this draft, I think that there's a significant cutoff after like 14, 15. Um, and I don't really feel like whoever's at seven to nine is at the same level as guys in the twenties. Like some people have been saying with this draft, I don't, I don't necessarily see it like that. Um, but anyway, um, now I want to get into your top five realistic prospects the Pacers could, could potentially oh, draft. Uh,
2: what does what realistic mean?
1: Guys that you think that could actually fall to 13, not guys that you think.
0: Okay.
1: Like, I know you have Moody as, as like number five or six on your big board, but like he's a potential guy that could fall to 13. You think so? Interesting. Okay. Well, here's why. Because on our last Prospect Chronicles that we did, we had Derek Murray on from basketballnews.com. He's been doing a lot of good draft coverage with Matt Babcock, and we asked him on the pod, do you think there's a possibility that Moses Moody could be there at 13? And he just quietly said, yes. Um, he's been talking to a lot of people, and I'll tell you some of the stuff he told me off air. I can't say it on here because I would not want to do that to his reputation. But, <laughs> um, yeah, there's just there's a possibility that he could fall. Now, a lot of people on Twitter think that that's just, you know, just talk. But I when he said it, he was very confident that there's a realistic possibility he does fall. So, anyway,
2: go ahead. Okay, so let's let's assume for the sake of this exercise, the absolute locks, then, since Moody is not one, to go before the Pacers pick would be the, the, the obvious four, Cade, Mobley, Green, and Suggs, and then Kuminga and Barnes, right? Those are the six that we would both say there is no way any of them gets a 13, right? Right. Okay, well, yeah. in that case, my top five, according to my own big board, would be Moses Moody. I have him ranked sixth. Uh, well, actually, my big board is not Pacer-centric, so I have to see. Speak. that's what I'm saying in, in terms of Pacer-centric. Okay. I have Moody at six, so he would be one that I'd be very interested in. I have Sharif Cooper at eight, and I think he'd be awesome on this Pacers team that's adding athleticism and speed by the year, and KP has mentioned that being something he likes. See, I have Kai Jones nine. That's why I stopped myself, because he would not at all be a good pick for the Pacers, despite me thinking he's going to be extremely good at some point in his career, and he talked about in his interview with the Pacers that he talks with Pascal Siakam sometimes. And now I'm starting to be like, wow, he kind of plays like him. Um, but anyway. So why wouldn't he
1: be a good fit? Could he play the four? He played the four at Texas a lot. <laughs> so do you think he could fit in there as a backup for me? Or maybe no, a probably. Uh,
2: not, not for a while. He's okay. really raw. Like, okay. Um, anyway, so no, he, he's not a good Pacers pick. So okay. I think my five would then be Moody, Sharif Cooper, Josh, Giddy uh keon johnson and franz wagner or jalen springer i'd have to decide there okay so all right <laughs> sorry, sorry sorry franz wagner, I, wagner. I, I don't have first names typed out so i just roll right
1: through it right um, see i'm not i'm not the big, biggest wagner guy i know a lot of people are high on him and i i absolutely do not want josh giddy i understand the entry I don't
2: get how people can watch the, the 36ers and not just fall in love with Giddy honestly like he I've is.
1: seen highlights and I I just the biggest thing with me is everything that I've heard in terms of people talking about him absolutely horrible defender and not a good shooter not a horrible
2: defender well not that's good. what I've
1: heard I mean someone someone legit that I listened to said he's a piss poor defender
2: He's very upright on defense. Okay, there. yes, I have critiqued so, that before, but I don't think he's a horrible defender.
1: Okay. Well, that's all I'm saying. Like going off hearing that and then other people have talked about it. I'm just like, okay. And I've seen enough of his game. Like I, I understand the intrigue with him to some degree, but it's not like if I had like 16 or 17, I might be more comfortable taking him there. But at 13, like, I feel like the upside with other players are there and I know me and you differ a little bit on how we how we view players. I number one Moses Moody is on my list too, so we're all the same there. We both have Keon Johnson in our top five. Um, Sharif Cooper is someone I still have to get around to warming up to. I, I think that I like it, but the lack of shooting is something I'm a little bit concerned about as well. And maybe I just value shooting too much, but that I mean I like Cooper's game a lot. And I'm excited to dive into him more and more as we uh, as we continue our prospect coverage here on our on our podcast. But I've I've not gone as in depth about Cooper as you probably have. So since you are man crushing on him, uh, what what exactly yeah. should fans want? I guess what should we look at as a fan uh, trying to look at his game and what he would bring to this team?
2: Yeah, with Sharif, like, so let let me catch my own biases here because with <laughs> with Jason Tatum, right, like. I wasn't in love with Jason Tatum coming out of Duke, which is so funny in retrospect because he's obviously awesome. Um, but he like at Duke he, he took a lot of a lot of like mid-range and tough jumpers and stuff, and he, he made a lot of them. But in my head, you watch and you're like, wow, he you know, he kind of struggles creating space, so like getting by these college guys. Like, how's he gonna do in the NBA? When he used to get by legitimate NBA prospects and that, you know, that that fear kicks in for me with some guys that other people are behind like Zaire Williams. Like Zaire does not beat a ton of dudes off the dribble at, at Stanford. And he's good. I like him. But, you know, I, I don't love the idea of him in the NBA because he's not awesome at that. Like Kispert, I really like. I think Kispert's going to be a good NBA player. I have him 15, but he's just not quite the self creator that I think that other people are tabbing him as. So my bias is here are that I put a lot of stock into being able to just get past guys at the college game, create shots for yourself and others at a high level. And Sharif is awesome, <laughs> like extremely shifty and quick and good at maintaining control of the ball while doing all that, a lot of turnovers, definitely a lot of turnovers. So saying he has a lot of control of the ball might seem a little aggressive, but you know he's able to do stuff that not a lot of other point guards in this class can do in terms of creation for himself and others, like spinning into the lane and then immediately whipping a pass out to a cutting teammate that he can only see for like a fraction of a second and you know, being able to get to the rim the way he does and finish at his size. He's, he's just very impressive to me. Uh, I, I don't like player comps but there's there's not a lot of guys like him really in the NBA that, that match his like control and speed and creation ability so obviously he's short and, and he definitely wasn't a good three-point shooter you're right to point that out and it, I think if he was either you know the combine measurements were wrong unfortunately but if he was actually six three or six four he'd like probably be top four for me or if he was even a decent three-point shooter at Auburn he'd probably be top four for me but like a lot of the other data s- s- suggests, And teams really think this way too, not like exclusively. And you you can't just look at three point percentage and throw it out the window. But like good free throw percentage typically an indicator that guys have good mechanics, good rhythm, good technique, right? That translates to you know if you're a good free throw shooter, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good three point shooter, but it means typically that you know. That that bodes well for you in the NBA. So and he shot very well from the free throw line on a lot of attempts. So I think he's definitely better than a 22.8% three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Great free throw rate, right? Good at getting by guys again and drawing fouls. So I just I'm in love with this game, right? He's good at at the objective of offense, at creating offense efficiently by beating defenders, by getting those paint touches, as Bjorken always said, uh, making stuff happen. I I just I'm in love with the way he plays offense and certainly as a short player he's going to be limited on defense but i think his offensive ceiling is so high that that he's going to be a good nba player so you,
1: so i guess i guess the knock um with you on davion mitchell is maybe age number one and that's part of it part of it. I was
2: it. watching some davion today yeah it's okay it's accident, so but still.
1: okay well i i've kind of been iffy on davion mitchell i understand why everybody's like freaking out like oh he's really good like i know our friend Kevin Bowen has just been like, oh, he's the guy that I want the Pacers to get. Like he's been saying that for a while. Um, him and Jalen Suggs were, were KB's two big guys that he really wanted the Pacers to get. Obviously Jalen Suggs is way too high, but um, Davion Mitchell, he's like, bro, you got to come around on this. And so um, I've been listening to a lot of different people talk and that's really the best way for me to gauge it is just people who actually do this for a living. And so Chad Ford locked on, uh, you know, I think is it what is it called? NBA Big Board with Chad Ford. Big Board
2: with Chad Ford, yeah,
1: yeah. So he had on Adam Stanko, and they were talking about prospects. And honestly, like, I'm I'm just gonna lie; it's recency bias too. But they they sold me on Zaire uh, Williams and Davion Mitchell being you know worthy of taking at that 13 overall pick because of their upside. And they were just talking about how stout of a defender Davion Mitchell is; like he is just a solid brick. And you know, offensively, like he's not the great not a great playmaker, but he just defensively he is so stout and so strong. And they said that it's going to be really hard for guys to go by him just because of how, how defensive minded he is. And they said like, you know, of course, like him not being super tall, like that does impact him a little bit, but they think that he's a nice fit there It just like brings leadership to any team that he goes to. So I think that's something that intrigues me because of just like the Pacers talking so much about needing to get better on defense and then with with Zaire, like the the big thing with him is just I always have thought he's got the build of a player that you want in the NBA. Um, with his size, is he the perfect you know player? What's what's wrong with him? Why why did he have such a bad year? And then you go back and look at his college year at Stanford. They played all road games, um, so that really did impact him. And I think that COVID nineteen really did. Just kind of alter his season overall, but they mentioned that he's a good playmaker and that his shot is there. He's a good shooter, and you know, just he's a raw talent. But he's someone that you know they mentioned they think should be worth investing in. So that's why I have him on my top five. I also threw Trey Man in there as well because um, I like. I do like Trey Man? I, I I feel like he's a guy. That you could trade back for, um, and that's in the trade back scenario. Personally, for me, like if Trey Man's the guy that you really feel like is next on your big board, you could trade back and maybe get some assets to get back with that. So, but I do like Trey Man. I think his growth spurt has really intrigued me as well. Um, just, just a super competitor, and I know everybody compares compares him to Beal just because they went to Florida. I don't, I don't necessarily see that, but I do think um, there, there's things to like there. And I I think the only concern I really saw with him was his shot is a little bit low, his releases. But I think with how well he is able to create space, that's not going to be too big of a problem. So those are my top five. And, you know, I Sarif Cooper, like, I think maybe I'm over-dramatizing the lack of three-point shooting. But I still think it's important, especially if they're possibly going to have this guy replace uh, mcconnell i think you don't want to have the same problem you had with mcconnell they're not being a three-point threat. and anyway that's just that's just me but i uh, i do think that cooper does a great job of uh, being a distributor
2: there's a few guys we gotta i think the other, the only guys we haven't mentioned that i think are good in this i mentioned springer a little bit but Jaden springer i really like yeah. uh jalen johnson neither of us have said i have him 14 i think he's good uh, and Book, Knight. Book Knight's good. He can create his own shot. Has a nasty step back, but not quite my favorite prospect. And you then Trey I have in my top 20 as well. Um, he, he, You know, if you can pull up from three like he can. You're going to be a good NBA player. And Roko Precation, my sneaky number 19 that no one else watches <laughs> over in Europe. Uh, he's good. But yeah, I was watching a lot of Davion today, so I guess I have some more insights on him. But like, his defense is definitely more appealing than his offense to me. And I, I kind of, his stats just don't tell the story of his game, like, at all. You know, like, the more I watch him, I'm like, Okay, his assists keep going up, but a lot of it's just like he's playing more, and a lot of his assists are just like, this is what the the Baylor set is, right? They call this play. Okay, the shooter's going to be open on floppy, and Mitchell passes that guy the ball. He has some very good change of speed assists, though, that I was noticing today. He had three in like a minute in the Oklahoma State. I was really watching Cade today, but I got caught watching Davion. Um he had three in a minute against Oklahoma State zone because he just burst into it and then slowed down immediately and drawn a guy, and then bam, hit a nice pass. Like, those were nice plays to me that make me buy, you know, if you can have that change of speed in the NBA, yeah, you'll be a good player. I moved him up three spots today. Um, wow. but he, he's still not my favorite. I still have his teammate Jared Butler over him, who is just a phenomenal offensive player. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys that, like, we as we've run through all these names, that make some sense to me. Zaire, certainly there are a lot of reasons to have him very high. He was ranked extremely high coming out of high school and he is you know i loved pokaszewski last year watching him with the thunder zires i think is going to be the funk guy who's like okay. oh yeah like look at that like no one's trying that except for Zaire williams in this <laughs> class i think he's a lot to go to the thunder just because of the way they value players uh, i like Zaire. uh he is the last guy that, on my board that i'd be like okay i like i get it like i like him everyone below him i'm like yeah i've got some legitimate concerns about you as an nba player so he is the very last guy for me in that tier of like acceptable, okay, this makes sense picks. Yeah,
1: no, I, and I think Jalen Johnson's a guy that a lot of fans are high on and they kind of push back on me when I didn't have him in my top five uh, for my realistic guys. I, I think one guy that we're kind of overlooking a little bit is Keon Johnson. And this is a guy that I understand like, you know, if I'm going to knock on Sharif Cooper, Cooper for his shot, Keon Johnson's three-point shot was not the greatest. And I think if I remember right, I'm not pulling up any stats. I feel like he was more so just a guy that does a great job of getting to the basket and, and super good defender. The, the vertical that he had at the draft comp or the, he has a draft combine. I can't remember what it's called
2: now. Insane. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) just what was it? Four feet off the ground. Yes. And that's the the (laughs) highest vertical. So it's like uh, in, in draft combine history. So I, to me, I feel like he's just a super athlete. And if you go back and listen to what Chad Buchanan said, after they drafted Cassius Stanley is they said, we got to get more athletes on this team. We got to be more athletic because we're not athletic enough. Now, does that change since Bjorkman's not here and it's Carlisle? I don't necessarily think it does, but I feel like he might be, you know, sneakily maybe like the number one athlete in this draft. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at everybody enough to really rank them, but I feel like his athleticism and his potential, especially on the defensive end, is uh, something that's really intriguing to me.
2: Yeah, I like Keon. Uh, I have him, I just said the number a second ago, and I can't remember now, 12, 11, there we go. Count okay. I have him 11. The athleticism is crazy. The shot is very not good. Uh, in fact, his offense in general is very raw, and he, see, he's the guy that you look at his bad three-point percentage at 27, and then you look at the free throw percentage at seven, you go, okay, you know, that, that's going to be a work in progress for him to develop in the NBA. It's not impossible. Uh, I might move him down if I watch him more, but his free throw rate's really good. So I mm-hmm. believe in him as a guy who can get to the rim and draw some fouls. Again, the athleticism's crazy because it's just percentage is still okay. You know, on a high usage, he's a good player. So I definitely value him as a lottery guy. I think he can be very good wherever he ends up as a six-five guard. You can put him on the wing. So yes, I'm, I'm a Keon Johnson fan, though I have some some concerns about his creation ability in the NBA. But that said, when you're as a like that was the, that was the thing with Cassius is a, you know, it's different when you're 54th pick versus 13, but like you have something that no one else has in the athleticism. Like you can teach a lot of basketball skills. You can't teach that. And so when you already have some skills like Keon does, it might make some sense to, to just swing on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're both praying for Moody. I, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the guy. I just think when I saw him in that Pacers warm up Jersey, I was like, Oh man, this looks so good. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, I'm just fantasizing over here. I really can't help myself. Um, I'm that obsessed, and I think he's that much better than the rest of the guys we're talking about. Like, nobody else is really jumping off the page for me like him. And, I mean, I even know Moody is not the most athletic guy. I just like the style of basketball that he plays, and I know that he's only like – I think he's only 6'4", if I'm not mistaken. But he has like a seven one wingspan or something like that. So the wingspan to me – and I think John Hollinger and Chad Ford were talking about that – allows him to be able to play the, the three as well as the two. So that to me is intriguing as well. I mean, you know, six, four, I don't really think basketball, I mean, it's positionless to a certain extent, but I think that he'd be fine playing one through three, if that's what they ask him to do. I don't think he's a point guard, but he could guard ones in my opinion. So anyway, any more draft thoughts before we move on?
2: I don't think so. I'm looking through guys. Yeah, I don't think so.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay.
1: All right. So now we're going to get into more trade stuff and I'm this will be a little lengthy. So I apologize. I know we're about an hour into this. So I'll try to wrap it up in like 25-ish minutes if we can. If I'm not taking too much of your time, Tony. I'm sorry. Uh, but Ben Simmons, okay. So this is a guy people have been very divided on in in Pacer Nation. And I ran a poll after that rumor came out that the Pacers offered offered Brogdon a pick for Ben Simmons. It got 900 votes, okay? And I mean, nobody ever votes on my stuff like this. So I was like, man, Pacer fans are like super passionate about this. And it was 55 to 45 in favor of trading for him, but I was just blown away that 45% of the people would not be interested in trading for Ben Simmons. So I guess to me, isn't this the type of package that Pacer fans have been screaming about wanting like this type of deal and be something that Pacer fans have been screaming about. Yes, The Pacers never make moves. And then like they, there's a guy that's 24 years old, you know, three-time all-defense, two-time all-star. And then like, oh, well, because he had a rough stretch in the fourth quarter a couple times against the Hawks in the playoffs, he's a bad player now. Cause he's not a great free throw shooter. I mean, just kind of talk me off this ledge why people are, or talk fans off this ledge of just like, so like, just being so recent, I guess, recency bias and hating on a guy that could really, you know, change the the future of this team.
2: I don't, I don't mean to be mean to anyone, but I'm going to make this very easy. Like, the, the people who need to be talked off the ledge have watched the Sixers, I will estimate here, five times this season, at most, including the playoffs. Like, I, he tears teams up, like, in the regular season, every game, and he's been good in the first round of the playoffs, like, his entire career. And then Joel Embiid is hurt and Danny Green is out. So all of a sudden he has to play a little differently and he was bad. He was very bad in the Hawks series. I do not want to excuse him for that at all, but like Ben Simmons is like amazing. Like he's one of the best 25 basketball players alive and people are treating this guy like his contract is terrible. and Like him not shooting is like the worst thing ever in the NBA. It's like, how you know how many teams have really good ball dominant players that can't shoot? Like basically the entire Sixers team is like that. Like the Bucks have – everybody except for Chris Middleton on their team right now in the finals is not really that good of a shooter, right? Like, Amber and Forbes, uh, but he obviously is limited in other ways. Like, it's very easy to make a guy with his skill set work with the right guys around him. And I just, I don't, I don't get how one series influences opinions of players this much. Like, I made the opposite comparison when I was talking with Jackson Frank on the House of the Bell podcast. It's like, you, you go through a playoff series and you're amazing. And then your, you know, your Bismack Biyombo is making $18 million a year. And immediately it took 10 games of the next regular season for, I think it was the Hornets. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it was the Magic. Whoever it was to be like, oh, shit, we should not have done this, right? Like, do not let one playoff series influence an opinion of this player this drastically. Like, Ben Simmons is amazing. Ben Simmons made three all-star teams. He made All-NBA last year, one year ago. This guy was an All-NBA player. Always going to be on defense. Like he is amazing. Like I would give up way more than Brogdon at first for him. And mm-hmm. I just think that people either aren't watching him or uh, really, 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 really overvalue shooting. Um, because I don't. I just don't get calling him like bad money or like a, a not good player. No, I, I don't get it at all.
1: <laughs> everything the Pacers have needed in terms of a bigger guy that can guard bigger guys in the league is exactly what he brings to the table. Like he'd be a perfect guy. I mean, you could play him at the four he could guard Giannis he could guard Durant I mean I'm not saying he's going to shut him down but like we've seen Sabonis and we've seen Turner and different guys even Brogdon take turns trying to guard Giannis and nobody can you know even stay in front of him hardly at all I think Turner probably looked the best on him but I mean still Giannis just dominated I'm not saying like oh you you know going up against like a former MVP like I get it but I'm just saying Simmons to me is someone that can at least gives you a better chance of trying to eliminate some of the things they can do. I just, and and not to mention that I just feel like he's a really good basketball player. And sometimes I think fans are just too in the moment with everything and they over, over criticize. Like I know somebody like literally quote tweeted. My tweet was like 55% of you are idiots for liking Ben Simmons. I'm like, okay, like this is just a little bit over the top. Nobody's an idiot for liking Ben Simmons. Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, This is a really good basketball player. So that to me, like, I'm not saying like Ben Simmons is actually the perfect fit with this roster, especially because I don't think his fit with Sabonis, uh, you know, his, his fit with Sabonis doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So if you're like so in love with Sabonis that you're not willing to get off of that contract or to pair him with Ben Simmons, then maybe I can understand the pushback a little bit if you really value Sabonis more than him. But quite frankly, as big of a Sabonis fan that I am, I, I, I would value Ben Simmons over Sabonis because oh, yeah. of oh, brings on the defensive yes. end and it's like offensively I think Sabonis does different things better but Simmons can still provide so much on offense too just because he's not a great shooter so that's that's kind of all I wanted to bring up on this topic I mean I don't know if you have anything other to say to that but it's just like so frustrating to me to see like the Pacers rumored to go after a guy like Ben Simmons and people like mad
2: about it and saying he's a terrible fit that in at first is like a heist like a, yeah. a heist you could get that for Simmons in two years when he only has two. Like, I, I can't believe it. Yeah. Yes, I agree with
1: you. Okay. So now everybody knows when I have Tony on, I like to give him a list. Oh. Um, <laughs> so basically what I'm going to give you is just a list of players, and I'm going to ask you – I think we're both in agreement here, so tell me if you're wrong, that you think the Pacers will more than likely trade Turner over Sabonis.
2: In a situation where they're
1: trading a center, yes, I do agree. Yes, that's, that's all I'm saying in terms of trading one of the centers – I just feel like that's the move they're going to go. So we're just going to play a game here basically where I'm going to ask you, and I think I did this last year, so it's very similar. Would you trade Turner for said player that I give you? And then do you think the Pacers and the team that they're involved with would agree to the deal uh, to move on for player for player?
2: So So just straight up, straight up trade.
1: Yes. And then there, I'll throw in a couple here that would have to be like salary filler. Like where you have to throw in like a Jeremy lamb. So, well, I'll make that obvious when we get to that point, but okay. um, I think you'll understand like Porzingis, McCollum, those kind of guys that have bigger contracts um, or free agents that might cost more. So just starting off, uh, this is a guy that I mentioned last year, Harrison Barnes. No. Okay. No. So you wouldn't do it? You think the teams would do it? Pacers wouldn't do it? I think the Pacers would not do that. That The Kings would, right?
2: Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. I, at first, I put Harrison I will, I'll go into more. I, yes, I'll explain more. Sorry. I, I thought that. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> I think that the Kings would like to do that, but I don't think the Pacers would do that. I think they would want a little more from the Kings. Yeah. And that's why I
1: thought about adding a um, a first round pick in there with that, like Harrison Barnes and nine for Turner.
2: Yeah. That's you See, Then they're giving up too much, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, would you say that giving up 13 with Turner for nine and Barnes is too much? Like swapping picks? Uh-huh. No, that's pretty good. I think that's okay. that's, like that's that. okay. That's kind of one of the trades I trade ideas I came up with, but I'll get into that later. Uh okay, so Robert
2: Covington. Oh, definitely no. He he I love Robert Covington. I used to love him a lot more, but he had a kind of down year this mm-hmm. year. Uh yeah. down is the wrong word, but I think like the more teams he goes to, the more he's exposed is like not quite the defender he gets credit for like that he has credit for. He's a good defender still, especially a good team defender. And he improved his three-point accuracy this year, but I think he's been kind of exposed as not quite the on-ball defender that he was billed to be in the past in his career. So still a good player. Uh, There's a reason Portland gave up two protected first-rounders for him, but no, I do not think I would do Turner for Robert Covington.
1: Okay, P.J. Washington.
2: Probably no. Okay. Most likely no. Man, uh... I like PJ Washington a lot, and I think that's kind of clouding my judgment of what he's actually done in the NBA. So I think my answer is no, but he is a stretch big with some floor skills and good on the glass and is improving defender. That one is very hard. Yeah, I think I would lean
1: more yes just because he's still on the rookie contract for one yeah, more year. That- I'm I'm still like gritting my teeth thinking about this one. Um, well, I, you would you would be able to get off some salary for this year too, if right? Right. Turner. They,
2: they have, do they have the space to just absorb. They do. They have like uh, I, do, I think they, they, they have they? like yeah. yeah.
1: And so we um we had on one of the guys from Busby I'm blanking on his name right now. I feel terrible. Um, it wasn't Spencer. It was uh, Richie. Richie. Yes. And I know you guys had him on too to do a little preview, and he was basically trying to give us um, Terry Rozier and a first round pick for for Turner. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, I, I don't think that makes sense. So I was like, let's let's go P.J. Washington. I think we agreed on a deal that gave us Rozier and Washington for a sign and trade of McDermott, and then we gave them Turner. So that was the route we went in that, to, like to agree on a deal, but he said he still didn't love it. I don't think they're as high on Turner as we are. So, but I, I still think P.J. Washington just makes a lot of sense.
2: I get why other teams aren't as high as Turner as people who watch the Pacers all the time are. I totally understand that. Yeah. Turner, like Charlotte specifically, is like a perfect fit fit, 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 I agree.
1: And I mean, especially with all the reporting that Zach Lowe said, like they are in love with them. Dude, um, it,
2: like the way LaMelo and Hayward play and the fact that that team is is like okay on defense because Brago's a, a decent defensive coach, like that mm-hmm. is a great fit for Turner. Like the Kings make sense because they desperately need a center and they're young, but mm-hmm. they don't, play in a way that I think would be awesome for Turner whereas the the Hornets it's like wow that is a fantastic fit okay well let's let's, uh, move on Lonzo Ball love it
1: Uh, that is a yes for me okay I agree with you now this one I'm gonna say I kind of threw it out there earlier but like Jeremy Lamb and Turner for Kimball Walker plus I would say you probably have to get something else agreed with that, so I'm gonna say Kemba Walker plus one of OKC's picks, and I'm not sure which one, but I'll let you pick that.
2: Ooh. They have 16 and 18. Six is too high. That's no for that. Yeah, yeah. So they have 16 and 18. What if we gave
1: them? I, what if we gave them 13 and for six with that?
2: See, when I think of Turner in a vacuum, he's in that 10 nine to 12 range, probably straight up in a trade, maybe a little lower than that, but the teams in that range all need him. So if you add in lamb, you move that down a few pegs. So you're, so Kemba's negative salary. So 16 and 18 probably aren't enough for that. So I would say no, Yeah. but that is an interesting idea for the Pacers to get a good player and not have to give up anything. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like, Kimba, I think, is a little
2: bit um, dang. If they, if the, if the Thunder had like twelve or or eleven somehow, yeah, that would be make some sense. Maybe they can package sixteen and eighteen and then do that. But I don't know why the Thunder would want Miles necessarily.
1: That's kind of what I was about to say. I I don't see why they would want Turner. Um, unless I just want to get off of Walker and think well, they, they could flip They flip, they flip
2: everybody, so maybe they'll just play him for a few games. and then Yeah, and
1: maybe they, they feel like his trade value could be more than Kimba, and then trade him and get something else. I mean, that's right. that's the only reason I could think of it. I would hate it for Miles, though, to go to a team that's kind of in rebuild. Um, I mean, clearly they're in rebuild. They're not kind of. But um, anyway, moving on, C.J. McCollum. C.J. McConnell or C.J. McCollum? C.J. McCollum.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a yes for me.
1: Do you think that the Blazers would do Turner in uh, salary filler for CJ McCollum?
2: Probably barely no, but yeah. they they because they have Nurkic. Like Nurkic's good, so I would say they'd say no.
1: Yeah, I think everything involving them if they get a center it would have to revolve around uh, Nurkic going to a third team. I think that he could make some sense for either Sacramento. Or even even Charlotte, if they miss out, I kind of like Nurkic and Charlotte a little bit. Just hey,
2: to- we got breaking news from Woj that uh, Rick Carlisle's top man's going to be coaching the Magic. Just thought we'd share that with the listeners.
1: Oh, Terry Stotts?
2: No, Rick Carlisle's top is oh Jamal Mosley. <laughs> Jamal Mosley. Okay, new, new Magic head coach. I like that for them.
1: Makes sense. I mean, they're in rebuild mode. and That Moseley's... is huge.
2: For... Jonathan Isaac's about to be a monster with Javon Moses.
1: It's, hopefully he stays healthy. Um, yes. I'm a big Jonathan Isaac fan. Uh, anyway. Yeah, down. so yeah. So McCollum, I think he's interesting. I think he makes sense for the Pacers in terms of what they would want to do offensively. Defensively, I know he's a negative, but offensively, I think he could p- probably be their best creator out there on the perimeter. On the oh, definitely. Perimeter. definitely. Yeah. yeah, so I just, because he was great before he got hurt this year, so yeah, I like CJ. I'm just not sure how you sell that to Dame, and uh not sure if Portland does it. But right. the next one, uh these next two names, I think fans are going to cringe when they hear it, but Christophs Porzingis. No. Okay, Kevin Love.
2: No, less than Porzingis. Okay,
1: yeah. I like Kevin Love. Right. I
2: like, I think he's good, but no, he is okay. less than, All than Turner.
1: All right, DeMar DeRozan. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh no, uh that one I I don't know that one's hard. I think my answer <laughs> is no. I'm like the yeah. only person alive who like thinks DeMar is really good still.
1: Well, a few months ago, Dave Cyril was on the pod and he brought up the and he didn't say that he necessarily liked the fit, but he said he kind of fits the bill of what the Pacers look for in a guy, um just like that type of player. So
2: it kind of yeah. got
1: me I open to the idea of it, but I'm not. I'm not sure if I would like that just because of the age. That's the big thing for me. Yeah,
2: three years ago is a long time in the NBA, certainly. But, like, he was All-NBA three years ago. Second team All-NBA three years ago. Like, he's really good, but he's obviously very limited. And in a Turner swap straight up would fit horribly with the rest of the Pacers roster. Although he did play some power forward for the Spurs this year, which was (laughs) hilarious. I do not think that makes sense for the Pacers. I'm already barely done cleansing my brain from the Jeremy Lamb at the four minutes. I don't need DeRozan at the four. All right. We got about seven names, so I'll try to go through them quickly. Uh, Colin Sexton. No need for speed. Uh, Colin Sexton. Man. Probably more valuable right now, but there's a very good chance that he is overpaid at 12 months from now. Then the answer would be no. That's close. That's a close one. Um, Okay. I think Eileen, no, but barely, barely. Yeah. Um, What about Jeremy Grant? Oh, yes, I would do
1: that. Would the Pistons
2: do that? No. Uh, No, because of beef stew is my answer, but he would be helpful for them. See, I see.
1: I like beef stew, but I still think Turner's better than beef stew.
2: Yes, but the, their, their timeline, if they're going to Turner, uh, they, they might do that. I don't know. I don't think they would, but they, they would think about it. Grant was really good last Do
1: you year. think it would have to involve more than just Turner,
2: like a pick or something? Like I think Grant has more value than Turner. Right?
1: I agree. That's what I was saying. So, like, what about, like, Turner? Like, I don't know if I'd give up 13. Maybe I would for Grant. I think he makes perfect sense as that four for us. I just, you know, in that starting lineup. But would it take maybe a pick, like a future pick from next year or something like that? I don't know.
2: I'm not sure what that gap is. Um, Yeah, probably about what you said, a a future pick.
1: Yeah. Okay. So these these are gonna be kind of gross names too. So I'm sorry. Um, well, I was just trying to think of names like
2: when we the- were doing the stars podcast. Adam was like, "John Wall is not a star. Why is he on this list?" But you know, it's just how this goes. Well,
1: I think Pacer fans were devastated to hear that this guy might be coming here a few years ago, and then that did not end up happening. It was Ricky Rubio, and I know Jay Michael put out that you know they've been really high on you know turning like they really want him, and so did the Hornets. I think that's what he said. So I'm not saying Ricky Rubio by himself would be enough, but is there anything there you see in Minnesota that would be enticing to package maybe with Rubio to send?
2: Yeah. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, come on down. Okay. He can play. Uh, And I like Josh Akogi, despite his very obvious uh, NBA limitations. But yeah, Jaden McDaniels was really good for them last year. They picked him late in the first round, but he turned out to be like a decent three point shooter, already a very good defender. Like, Way over his draft evaluation already, he's only one year in. So, yeah. yeah, he he's although again another free throw percentage scare with three point shooting. Um, but yeah, they if you if the Pacers can get him, and, and then you're talking about something. He's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think, Minnesota is
1: such a weird team for me to find a trade that I'm in love with. Um, so anyway, we already kind of talked about Andrew Wiggins, but would you do Turner and like a salary filler like Jeremy Lamb? for Wiggins and then maybe a pick back from Golden State, depending on what pick it is?
2: Um, he would have to be a good pick, but, yeah, yeah. I think I would do that. Okay. Uh, Marcus Smart. Ooh. Uh, he, man, we're getting these are getting harder. I like the easier <laughs> ones at the beginning. Uh, no, but barely no. Okay. Because he keeps getting hurt, but he's – as good as Turner, and at the same age. I'm and not sure. will be a better fit on the Pacers roster.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure Boss would get rid of him, to be honest with you. I, I agree. Don't... I agree.
2: After what uh,
1: uh, Udoke said about him, just how he's kind of like the heart and soul of that team, I just – especially the defense. I don't see them get rid- getting rid of him, but I do know that with Brad Stevens there, it could be a little bit easier to trade Turner to Boston, uh, you know, instead of Danny Age. But I just like Marcus Smart. I think he would fill that role as a leader the Pacers could use and just be an impactful defender on the perimeter, which they desperately need. Um, this one I would probably, depending on if he can stay healthy, it's Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I feel like he's more of a six-man type of guy. Um, And I, I did come up with a fake trade with the nets and I don't know if you like it or not. So I'm going to throw it out at you and just tell me what you think. Cause I was just playing around with it today. I think it was when you guys were talking, I was like, I wonder what it would take. So I did like a sign and trade with Spencer Dinwiddie for like three years for like 14 million a year with Joe Harris for Turner, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb. Uh, uh,
2: Turner, Justin Holliday, Liam, Joe Harris is the best player in that trade. But Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie, no, I think the Nets wouldn't do that, I don't think. Um, That's what I thought, too. So that's probably good value for the Pacers, but I don't think that would happen. Okay. And I think Dinwiddie wants uh, a lot more. I don't think he'll get it, but I think Dinwiddie would like substantially more money than that. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. Um, so you brought up Joe
1: Molinax and how he threw out that Grayson Allen thing. I don't know if you've been paying attention or not to their you know mock offseason or mock draft, whatever. They oh, had there's so many
2: of those. I can't keep up with all okay, of them. Okay, <laughs> so there were
1: so many trades, and one of them was involving the Pacers. I think Kyle Anderson was in it with Melton, and, like, pick 17 was involved. And then they got, like, I think we got they got pick 13. Or, no, I think – we traded 13 for like 23 and 24. There was so much going on, but basically it was like a Kyle Anderson, uh, D'Anthony. Is it D'Anthony Melton on their team?
2: Yes. He's awesome.
1: Yes. Yes. And 17 for Miles Turner. And You then we shared s- this one. I did see this one. Yes. And we, this and we specifically. And everyone was like, this trade is just god awful. And Joe was well, like,
2: okay, my hot take on that is uh, D'Anthony Melton's the best player in the trade. <laughs> so Ooh. Oh, I would do that immediately. Two seconds sold. I love D'Anthony Melton. Yeah, and I like Kyle Anderson,
1: too. I mean, it's hard not to yeah, like he's Kyle good. Anderson. I think he'd be good. a good fit. I think he would actually make sense playing with Carlisle, too. Yeah. So,
2: Anthony Melton is is awesome. He, like, he he is a guy that like the second I think he gets a bigger opportunity in the NBA, everyone's going to be like, whoa, where did this guy come from? Right, and so, that's
1: kind of one of those diamond in the rough type things that you could find. What like. was
2: it, 17 Melton in slow-mo for Turner?
1: Yeah, I think that's all it was. That's um, just for Turner? I think that's what it was. Let me go back and pull wow, it up. Wow, that
2: seems crazy.
1: Yeah, Joe made the trade too, uh, and he's the Grizzlies guy, so that's why I was just laughing at how th- he's.
2: 13 has to be in there, right?
1: No, we traded 13 in this whole thing, and then we got back 12 from the Spurs. I'm
2: scrolling through your timeline.
1: There I'm it trying. is. Okay.
2: The Grizzlies send, thir- send 17, Kyle Anderson and Melton for miles. Holy cow. Yeah, sold. Deal. Done. Immediately.
1: Yeah, and every fan was like, "I hate this trade."
2: Oh my gosh, that's a that's a great trade for the Pacers. Yeah,
1: I see. I'm not. I'm not as familiar with the Anthony Melton. I'll be honest. I don't watch enough outside I said, of the Pacers. Frank has a
2: great profile about him. That everybody should read. Does it's, he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that
1: I was like, I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, there's one. Mem- wrong. There's one Memphis player that I would like more than that, and that's Dylan Brooks. Do you think at all he, they would be willing to part with Dylan Brooks?
2: I think. You ready for this? What? Ooh, I think D'Anthony Melton's better than Dylan Brooks. Oh, come on! <laughs> I love D'Anthony Melton. Yeah, I don't think they'd be willing to part with Brooks. He was really good for them last year. Okay. I mean, he, he was like a, just a tick better on offense, but his defensive emergence—all of a sudden—it's like, oh wow, this is this is a piece for us, you know? So
1: yeah, I get that. Like mean, good, he
2: would fit on any team, but I don't think they'd give him up.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I I love Dylan Brooks, so I threw him on this list because I wanted to get shot down. I'm I like just...
2: Dylan. I like Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Um, Probably not for Turner, though.
1: Okay, and then the last one, I, I, I'm i going to change it because I had somebody else, but I don't think he'll make uh, make any – he's not fun to talk about. It was uh, Schroeder, but another guy nope. because we – yeah, that's why I was like, okay, i just – I'm just trying to think of guys that can make around the same salary, could be had in a sign-and-trade, that kind of thing. Um, but Miles Bridges is a guy we talked about last year, and now Bridges had a great year with Charlotte. I feel yeah. like they'd be more willing to part ways – with PJ Washington than Miles Bridges, but sure for sure, do you think that if they're really that into Turner, that a Turner for Bridges trade straight up could work?
2: I think I roasted Bridges last year. Who's the I Who I, was uh, I was low on I forget what pod we talked about him on, but I remember yeah I was low on him and uh, Dejounte Murray, and then both were better this year than they were last year, so I looked down for that
1: one. But. Yeah, Rhett's been roasting you for that Dejounte Murray take. Um, oh, really?
2: Yeah, he's like, I just want to come out and say that I love Dejounte Murray. <laughs> He's not. good for sure. Yeah, He's, um, he's he, really he, good. He turned some heads this year. Miles Bridges is, yeah, now that he's a shooter, like now that that looks legit, another, another uh, tip in the cap for free throw percentage, by the way. Um, Yeah. Now that he's looking like a legit shooter. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a valuable player. And can he be traded? What, well, I don't forget his first name, but Collins, the announcer for the Hornets. I think if you trade miles Bridges, Collins has to go with him just because <laughs> of all the highlights where he's just screaming like a maniac and it's hilarious. Um. Yeah. That that's close. I think I lean.
0: Sli-
2: I think I lean slightly to yes on that, but that is very close. Very yeah. Close. I think there's some. I honestly feel like if the Pacers
1: don't, you know, include Turner in a bigger package to move up, I really feel like Charlotte makes the most sense.
2: Hundred percent. They have two
1: terms of like years. Yeah.
2: Quite honestly, <laughs>
1: that's why. Like, if they don't draft a center, like. I think like let's just say Moody falls to 11 for some reason, and that's what the Pacers want. Could they package Turner and 13 for Moody and PJ Washington? Like to me, yeah, like
2: Miles Bridges,
1: honestly, yeah, be, yeah. yeah, that's and the only reason that's I say
2: frustrating and such a good Turner because like for years, like they get Lamelo, they get Bridges, they get PJ, right? They they sign Hayward, like they're clearly making smart steps and like making moves towards winning. Rozier they signed two years ago for big money. Devontae Graham looks good, like. They're taking all these steps, and they're like trying so seriously, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, our center rotation is, is Cody Zeller and uh, Bismack Biyombo." It's like, wait, what? Like, put any resources into this, and you have like a six seed or a five seed all of a sudden. So it's very frustrating for me, for them. Yeah. So they seem they've seemed like a turner fit basically since they gave Rozier a bunch of money. So um, yeah. yeah, that that will be talked about for a long time. I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm excited to see what happens. I think we'll start hearing more and more rumors as we get closer to the draft, like we do every year. And free agency being so close to it, I think like, I think basically, I've out of all those names, the name that you're probably the most high on is a Lonzo for Turner swap.
2: Love that. Yes, I'm a big Lonzo
1: fan. Yeah, I am too. I think Lonzo makes a lot of sense, and he doesn't actually have to play with the ball in his hands the whole time. I think people are kind of not on the understanding of that he can. He's actually a pretty good off-ball player too, um, and he really improved his three-point shot this year. So I. I'm I'm high on Lonzo. It's not necessarily my favorite just because I don't know how much he's gonna make. And that's where I'm kind of like, I don't know yeah, how. Yeah,
2: there is a line where you're like, oh, this is not worth it anymore. And with the Knicks having so
1: much money, like I know New York had a great year this year, but it's the Knicks, and it's just like they could be desperate to really try to like win now because of the success they had this season. So that's the only thing I'm thinking in the back of my head. Like them and the Spurs, like the Spurs have so much money, it's ridiculous. Uh, this upcoming free agency. I think it's like close to 50 million, if I'm not mistaken, if they like renounce all their uh, cap holds with all their, their free agents. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's quite wide. But anyway, so that's all the names I had for you. So uh, good list. I, I still don't know if like I love any of the players on that list or think that they're a massive upgrade. So I think McCollum and uh, Lonzo probably are up there. And then like the Bridges – P.J. Uh, Washington are kind of the guys that I would be more intrigued by than anything else. But according to you, D'Anthony Melton is the best of all of them.
2: So
0: <laughs>
2: nah, nah. <laughs> He is kidding. close to Lonzo to me in terms of skill level. He is- okay. Well, that, I mean, that does make a lot of I sense. Get, see, unlike Ben Simmons, I get why people aren't like locked in on the Grizzlies and D'Anthony Melton. That's and right. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. But anyway, Tony, I know
1: that you – um, have locked on Pacers. You're with Forbes. You're at the Westside Community News. Do you have anything that you want to you know, plug here um, for the listeners?
2: Not not really. Uh, my plug will be watch Watch the Fever. I know they have a garbage record, but I encourage more people to watch the Fever. Their games are free on Facebook and the Fever's website almost every time, especially if you live in Indiana. They're definitely free. They are a, a fun team to watch despite being 2-16. And you
1: got your new profile picture from a Fever game. so <laughs> I
2: did, I did. Yeah, our, our, <laughs> our media seats are like hysterically close to the court. Shout out to the Fever PR for that. So, uh, yeah, you, you might see me on TV in the background if the camera angles uh, give us the right stuff. <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, Fachi
1: will be back next week with me. He took the week off to work on some personal things. So congrats to Fachi on his career. I know he's doing some good things with that. Uh, don't want to spoil too much, but I just want to give him a shout out. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter underscore FACCI. I'm an Alex Golden NBA. Our podcast is at setting the pace three and at Pacers talk on Instagram. And we will talk to
0: y'all next week without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running. Everything would suddenly stop hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done at Granger. We're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery.